Good morning. I'm so happy to see you. Did morning come early for all of you like it did for me? <laughs> I was like, an early morning. So, but we've been having such a great time and getting into the word and bringing, drawing closer to the Lord and drawing closer to one another and meeting our sisters from other places. It's been such a huge blessing to me already. And I'm very thankful to be here. And I'm thankful to, to all the ladies who have worked to make this possible, the working behind the scenes that I know the women have done so much of, and just making everything run smoothly and be prepared and have provisions here for us, and we are just very, very grateful <coughs> for all the work that's gone into this event. I love the the theme of this event, the practical Christianity and the connection to the book of James. So while my lesson isn't exactly from a specific passage in James, there are a lot of places in James that he speaks about the word of God. So I'm going to snag, I told my husband I was doing this, I said, I'm taking your notes from your lesson yesterday that I was in, I'm going to use this part right here. And he had just done a study of the thre a thread of where do we find James speaking about the word of God or God's word, and there's kind of a lot of places. So I'm going to give you 10 of them real quick off the top. James says that the word of God is what brings us forth, James 1 and verse 18. And he reminds us to be swift to hear right after that in verse 19. So are we swift to hear that word? In verse 21, we're supposed to receive with meekness the word. And so that's how our hearts should be at the time that the word is being presented. Verse 22 of James 1, the word is perfect and it's for our application. So we're not just learned listening, we're, we're wanting to incorporate what we learn. In verses 19 through 25 of James chapter 1, he interchanges the phrases word and law. So we find out that the law of God is the word of God and vice versa. In James 1.25 and also 2 and verse 12, we read that this is the law of liberty. So this isn't a law like a burden. This is a law that frees us up to live the way that God wanted us to live, right? In a, another place, James says that God blesses the hearers. So you guys out here today, and, I, and whenever we go into another session, we're being blessed by the Lord while we're hearing his word. I love that. And then uh, James 1, 18 through 27 says that the word has a holistic role. It, it, it addresses everything about us and how we actually do religion. It has to do with how we hear the word and apply it. And then James 2, 8 and 9 says that it's a royal law that implies our king is Jesus, right? And whatever we're listening to is connecting us to our king. And then finally in James 3, 2 through 12, and 2, 1 through 13, we read that there's, the word is consistent. It's, it's something that's going to be consistent. It's going to keep us steady in, in our lives. So those are some things that James had, had drawn out about the word of God. My topic that I was assigned is launching out into the deep. Seven ways to grow your Bible knowledge. So, first I want you to just stop for a minute and think of a place that you've always wanted to go. Maybe it's an adventure that you've always wanted to take. Maybe it's a vacation that you've always wanted to do. <coughs> maybe you wanted to go to Hawaii, or maybe you'd like to have hiked the Appalachian Trail. Maybe you want to go antiquing in Fredericksburg, Texas. Maybe you want to take a trip to Israel and see the places where Jesus lived and walked among us. Maybe you've seen pictures of your place that you're thinking of, or maybe you follow a group on Facebook or social media that you know shows you all the wonderful things about this place, or maybe some friends have told you their stories about their trip. 
And so you think, ooh, I'd love to go. Maybe your friend brought you a souvenir bag. Anybody have a magnet from somebody else's trip or a t-shirt, you know? And you think, ooh, I would love to go. That would be so wonderful. And, and you enjoy those souvenirs. But what if, what if you were able to go on that trip yourself in person? Wouldn't that be so exciting? How amazing it would be? What if someone provided you all the details that you would need to have your own adventure? Would you be brave enough to go? Would you be all in? Today we're going to be talking about launching out into the deep. And maybe a sea voyage wasn't the thing you were picturing a minute ago. Well, you know, maybe it was a cruise. But we're going to use it as an analogy for our own adventure, which is diving into the Word of God, going on a Bible voyage. We're going to discuss seven components of this Bible voyage, seven ways to a successful deep dive into God's Word. And these seven ways are all connected. Each of the seven ways is important in and of itself, but if you put them all together, you're going to be into, in for the adventure of a lifetime. So let's consider how to launch out into the deep and explore the depths of God's Word. We'll do something real quick here. I'll add on. So, component one, motivation. Why do you want to take this voyage? I'm going to use, I'm going to be old school and use a marker for Tell me, if I spell this wrong, will you tell me? Every now and then, when you're writing on a board, I don't know, get glitchy and just leave out all the syllable or something. Why do you want to take this voyage? Why do we want Bible knowledge? We need to ask why. This is the first and most important way to have a successful Bible voyage. We need to do a heart check. So, moms, when your teenage boy wants the keys to the car, you're going to ask why. Does he just have a need for speed? Does he want to impress his girlfriend? Why does he need this car? And the same applies to Bible knowledge. Why do you want to have it? Imagine that your life on earth is over and you're about to enter the gates of heaven. Do we think there's going to be a test at the gates of heaven? Maybe somebody's going to be standing there saying, okay, name the 12 apostles. Can you tell me how many books are in the Old Testament and in the New Testament? How about naming the judges? Well, you didn't do so terrible. <laughs> and then maybe we're supposed to, you know, tell how many miles is it from Bethlehem to Jerusalem? Or maybe we think that, that we're supposed to have to know, maybe book, chapter, and verse for where Jesus gave the greatest command. Sometimes we study as if that's why we're studying. As if we think there's going to be a test on this, you know, to get me into heaven. And I'd like to say that that is not a good motive for Bible study. Sometimes we do, though, we study that way, and we also teach our kids to study that way. And maybe we should be a little cautious and go back to what is the actual motive for this Bible study. That kind of study, the checklist kind, it can make us self-satisfied. Yeah, I got that down. It can make us self-reliant. Yeah, I know that. And it can make us self-equipped instead of being Savior-equipped and Savior-reliant. And Savior satisfied. Beware knowledge for the sake of knowledge alone. 
You know, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 1 that knowledge comes up. But what does love do? Builds up. Right. And then in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, we read that even if we have all the knowledge, but we lack love, it profits us what? Nothing. Nothing. So we can see that there is clearly a wrong motive to gain Bible knowledge. One that results in puffing us up with pride instead of increasing our love. So let's hear from some experts. Comments from the experts about why study the Bible. And this is going to bolster up our component one. We're going to grab some of these and use them. Paul. Would you think Paul's an expert? I'd say he probably is. Paul says, I want to know Christ. That's a noble motive. Philippians 3, verse 10. The Bible is a book from God, about God, and how to know him. If we lose sight of that fact, we're leaving out the whole point of the Bible. Discovering who God is. I want to know Christ. Jesus said, you think he's an expert? All right. Why do you call me Lord and do not do the things that I say? Matthew 7, 21. And again, he said, and I've heard this verse quoted several times already here, and I love this passage. I can't say enough of it. Matthew 11, 28 through 30, Jesus said, Take my yoke upon you and what? Learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest unto your souls. So this is a relationship he's talking about. Learning how to live life with Jesus, from Jesus, that's a great motive, right? The Holy Spirit says, do you think he's an expert? That the renewing of our minds transforms us so that we will prove the will of God in our own lives. Romans 12, verse 2. He exhorts us not to just sit and accumulate knowledge, right, for the sake of knowledge, but to look to Jesus, run with patience our own race, and become less and less sin-prone. And that's Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. So seeing Jesus clearly, walking with him, this is what we're exhorted to do. Motives for Bible study. Jesus also says he's going to judge us by how we lived our lives and how we interacted with other people. <clears throat> this is Matthew 7, 21 through 23, and Matthew 25, 34 through 40. So we learn that improving our personal interactions is a good goal for Bible study, Bible knowledge. Peter says, do we think we trust what Peter says? Peter says we are to be ready to give an answer, right? He said that. But an answer of what? What's the next thing? The hope. Of the hope that is within you. So if our Bible knowledge hasn't been building up our own hope, we're not being ready to give an answer for the right thing. We've got to be ready to give an answer of the hope that is inside of us. And that is uh, in 1 Peter 3.15. So what's the motive for your Bible deep dive? Does it line up with these experts? These are going to be our first component, the first and most foundational thing for growing our Bible knowledge. I love Psalm 42, 1 and 2, where the psalmist said he was panting for the living God, right? He wasn't panting to learn facts. He was panting for the living God. And when we're ready to find ourselves panting to know God and meet him in his word, we're off to a great start. Component number two, a vessel. Okay, we're looking for a vessel. I hope I spelled that right. Um, you know, an ocean exploration, you gotta have the right boat. A leaky canoe is not gonna do. 
and your Hawaii trip or your Israel trip, you need the right transportation to get there, maybe an airplane. If you're going on a space trip, your trip to Mars is going to require a spaceship. If you're going on the Appalachian Trail adventure, you're going to need some strong legs to carry you on that adventure. So you need the right vessel for your trip. And we, in our Bible exploration, need the same. So the second most important way, but connected here, is going to be our vessel. Do you remember in Acts chapter 6, the apostles determined that they needed to do something. They, didn't need, they needed to devote themselves to the word of God and prayer. And in order to do that, they had to eliminate some things. Some good things, but things that were distracting them or keeping them from fulfilling their time in the word of God and prayer. So I'd like to take that as an example. How about us? We need to create a plan for consistency and be intentional like they did to find the right vessel. The apostles realized that just snatches of time in the word of God and prayer, that wasn't enough. They needed a venue, we might call this a venue, for uninterrupted time with God. This marker is light. I'm gonna have to switch colors here in a minute. So, is anyone in the room engaged to be married? <laughs> so, have you put any time into looking up into venues for your, for your, you know, maybe reception or where you want to get married? And a lot of brides, you know, they spend time working on this and planning and researching and finding a venue for this important event. Well, how about our time with God? For our own time with God, wouldn't it be just as important to make sure we have the right venue for our Bible study? Right now, personally speaking, I have a favorite chair. And early in the morning is my best time. I have coffee, coffee's brewed, and there's good lighting, and it's quiet, and I don't have a lot of interruptions at that point, at that place. Right there, that's my venue. I'm getting ready to meet with God at His Word. Job says he treasured the words of God as more necessary than his what? Remember? I treasure your words as more necessary than my daily food. Wow. Job was willing to maybe even skip a meal to spend time with God. That's amazing. Job 23 and verse 12. Can we say the same? We might have to eliminate something to add and perfect our venue for meeting with God in his word. What does your venue look like? Think about it. And this can change with the seasons of life, by the way. There was a time when I had toddlers and my venue was behind a locked bathroom door. <laughs> Just for like 10 minutes. <laughs> you know, it's going to change. Make sure maybe you need to get a different venue right now. Maybe your vessel's up for the trip. What is the best way to accommodate your adventure into the Word and the best way to launch out? Component number three is equipment. Did you know that when the Titanic went out, they didn't even put any lifeboats on it because they thought they didn't need to. That's what I heard, uh, or life rafts. Instead of God's word, some people sink when we don't have the right equipment. There's both internal and external equipment to consider as we examine this third way to maximize our dive in the scripture. The internal equipment is yourself. Now, I said, when I said I get up early in the morning, how many of you were shaking your head on the inside and going, nope, that's not my time. <laughs> Some of us are not morning people. I know you mentioned that yesterday. Some of us, it's going to be the nighttime. You 
everybody's on the bed, and that's going to be our time. So when are you at your best? When is your mind going to be able to, to engage the best with God? Maybe it's mid-morning after breakfast when your baby's taking a nap. Maybe it's in the evening. Bring your best self to the voyage. Your eyes, your ears, your mind, all of these will be required. But some external equipment now. The first one, you know I'm going to say it, the text. you got to have the Bible for Bible study. Printed text is great. It's wise to have several translations available. If you're working specifically for a devotional benefit or a heart benefit, I suggest using a Bible that you haven't marked in. And maybe a safe translation that you aren't as familiar with. This allows the meaning of the words to penetrate instead of your brain to check out. Or maybe your eyes to go to that preacher's outline that you jotted down in the margin. Just let the text speak. My favorite way to encounter the text is through an electronic medium. I use Bible Hub, and if you haven't tried that, that is a great place to go uh, electronically. An electronic help like Bible Hub allows us to view dozens of translations at a time. You can just jot down there and see New King James, ESV, and you can see all the translations side by side. It allows us to read in one translation or flip over to another one. And if you're traveling, it's very compact. It reduces the space that you need to do this Bible study. So yourself and your text are essential equipment. But here's some additional equipment that you might consider adding. What about some recording tools to help you maximize your voyage? Maybe you're going to add a notebook and some a pencil. I use a pencil because i got a heavy eraser right there. And then maybe you want some colored pens. And maybe you're already doing this. And I think this is a great way to kind of record what you're learning today or what you're reading about, what the scripture is saying to you and what you're learning from the Lord. Uh, this helps you capture and discover. You know, on trips, people take pictures, right? It's just a little snapshot of what that whole event was about, and it brings up the memories of what you were doing in that place and time. So this is kind of what we're looking for with this, just a little snapshot to summarize what you are doing in this place and time. Another type of tool you might want to bring along is consulting tools. In, uh, for deeper dives, you might want a Greek interlinear or a dictionary or a concordance or helps word studies, Strong's, Englishman's, Thayer's. Now, Bible Hub furnishes all of these on one page, which I love. And we'll talk more about that in a little while. Maybe your physical paper Bible has cross references. That's a tool. Now, cross references um, can be helpful. Remember, maybe there's notes at the bottom of the page in your Bible, and those can also sometimes be helpful. But remember that men, scholars, assemble the information in these consulting tools, and most of that information may be spot on. But you may need to watch for a bias. Every now and then you'll encounter a bias on the part of that writer, so read with discernment. One last tool I'd like to say uh, that can be helpful is commentaries. In our sea voyage analogy, Consulting a commentary is kind of like listening to a seasoned sailor who took a voyage all of his own once upon a time, and he is very happy to tell you about it. Now, he may have had his own agenda, he may have had his own focus, and he surely brought his own personality to that table. So consider reading these last, because find your own <laughs> discoveries first. It's more satisfying than listening to someone else's discoveries. So is your equipment intact? 
What do you need to add or supplement to your component three? Is something weighing you down that can be updated? Are we packing the best equipment, internal and external, to survive this way forward? Component number four, itinerary. Okay, that's your travel plan, right? So when you're going on a trip to Israel or Hawaii or a hike, you know, on a hike, a map helps. Might be nice to know where that trail is going. For Israel or Hawaii, maybe you need a calendar. What day are we gonna be where and doing what? Or a clock, you know there's a time zone difference between here and there, we may need to, to account for that. What about an ocean voyage? You might need to consult a compass, right? Where exactly are you going? How much time are you gonna spend there? What will you do when you stop? Now there's, sometimes on a trip, there's room for a side trip, right? If you have a little wind, you have maybe half a day to go do something extra. But generally, you stick to the plan, and it's wise to have one. In your deep dive quest to encounter God in his word, what's the plan? Will you begin at Genesis and go through to Revelation? Or how much of the text are you going to take in each time? Are you going to read 10 chapters at a time? How much time do you have in your day to sit with God? Is it going to be an hour, 15 minutes? You've got to plan a little bit, right? Um, let's find this, our way, our plan to discover God. There are many options. I'd like to suggest a variety. So what I do, just as an example, in the mornings, Monday through Friday, I'm currently going through the epistles, the letters. But on the weekend, I change it up. And I look into the book of Psalms. I love to have something going through Psalms all the time. It just really helps to keep my heart in tune with the Lord. So that's the way I like to do it. And so I know on Saturday morning when I get it, I'm going to be in the Psalms that day. I already have a plan, right? And then maybe on the, in the evenings, you could add something which might include reading through a chronological Bible. Chronological Bibles are very interesting. It can kind of help you piece in what happened when in the story of the Bible. It's on a Bible timeline. And then maybe at the end of the day, you like to write a page in a thankfulness journal and you try to think back and pull in what you learned that morning and put it in your thankfulness journal. That's something that really helps me. So there's a lot of ways to do this. It's variety, but it's planned. And each piece of that fits with the other pieces. You know, on your sea voyage, there may be diving days. There may be days sitting on the deck looking at the dolphins. You know, so you can have a variety, but it can still be all complementary. Are you somebody who'll, well, maybe on Saturday, like me, I'm doing my chores and I'll go into the bedroom. You'll go into the bedroom on a mission, you know, something you needed to do in that bedroom. And when you're in there, you see something else that you need to do. So you start that. And then while you're doing that, you find something else that you need to do. And then you do that. And before, and then you finally leave the room and you've never done the first thing that you went in there for, which is very frustrating to me, but that does happen a lot. Um, so this, sticking to a plan, will keep that from happening in our Bible interaction. So if you think of something else, if you're in this Bible interaction and you notice something else that catches your attention, go ahead and jot it down and have a little side page over here. I'm going to look at blank, blank, blank. And save that for another time. Stick to the plan that you have right now. You know, the ocean is vast. The Word of God is too. If you are deep diving, it's probably best to limit yourself to one to four verses at a time. 
to really draw out what's in there. You know, if you go out on a sea exploration and you spend 48 solid hours out there and you come home sunburned and dehydrated and exhausted, are you going to be likely to go do that again the next day? Probably not. So pace yourself. Figure out your plan. Another important part to that is your documenting space. I like to limit myself to one page, and this is not a very big page. I know that if there's just one page to put stuff in, then I'm going to be more concise with my thoughts. <coughs> sure, go ahead and explore and learn and interact, but then we're going to pare this down so that it fits on one page. And that's a way to um, kind of keep track of what, what's going on, and it's essential to work. So character studies are interesting. You might try those as long as you can relate to that character and find ways to help you in your relationships with God and others. Book studies are helpful as long as you don't get lost in the first century and never make application to yourself. Word studies are intriguing. But if they don't impact you personally, it may just be knowledge for the sake of knowledge. Go back to point one, right? Going straight through the text is amazing, but only if you keep the big picture in mind and, you, and not just get lost in the small pieces along the way. Filters are a good way to study. I recently did a filter study of the Book of Acts, and what I mean by that is I went through the Book of Acts only noticing what it said about Jesus. I put a filter on there just to help me draw out from Acts what does Acts say about Jesus? You know, we think Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all about the life of Jesus, but what, what is about Jesus and Acts? It was very encouraging to me. So filters can be helpful. Um, so these are just some ideas. But have a plan and have an itinerary. Do you have some ideas forming in your mind as one of those? It sounds like something you would like to do. So maximize your depth of experience with God in his word. Component five, interaction. Okay, so we planned and planned and prepared, and now we're going to go. All right, finally, we're sailing out. Let's go interact with the Sea of God and His Word. We're going to use Philippians 4 4 as a model today because it's a short verse, and for the sake of time, this will allow us to uh, be focused on Jesus. All right, so we've been skimming across the world. Okay, let me start over. First, we want to discover the context. Philippians 4, verse 4. Does anyone know what it says? Rejoice in the Lord. Always. And then I say rejoice, right? We love that verse. The context, what's going on around that verse? Why did that verse fit there? So this is where we're looking at the context. We're skimming across the water in our boat on the ocean. We're going to see what's the context, what's big that's going on around this. So in Philippians, we find that in chapter 3, Paul's been encouraging them to stay focused on Jesus in heaven. And then at the beginning of chapter 4, there's a clash. There's a personality problem that had popped up. And so he talks about that. He's already mentioned some unity. And now he's going to be giving specific helps to them to keep their eternal focus. So now we have the big picture. We figured out the context. Next, write out the passage. Write out the passage. So, I leave room at the top. Don't put anything up here where the heading's at. On your first line, 
writing it out slows your brain down and it helps you to absorb what those words are a little better. I love that there's a lot of writing studies already out there. I know that Carla Moore does one and this is good for us. Um, it, it helps us to see what's there. We have been skimming across the ocean. Now we're going to stop the boat. We're going to see what's right here in our area of focus. Now once the text is written out on your page, there's room to work with it, right? A question is going to serve us well at this point, and the question is, what? What does the passage say? If my boat is stopped here, what do I see? So first and foremost, the thing to look for is God. Where is God in this passage? On my page, I like to mark all the references to God, including the he's and him's, right? So on this, I'm going to I'm circle it. You can do whatever you want. There's God. And look for God. If you miss God, again, you're going to miss the whole point of this. This includes Jesus and the Spirit, of course. Remember that the Bible is God telling us about himself. and Never fail to find God. Never fail to find him. Next, look for what God is, has, or does. So I mark these. And in Philippians 4, 4, there's not a match. There's nothing telling us right there what God is, has, or does. But maybe back in verse 3, for example, what do we find? What does God... It, what is God doing in verse 3? We'll find the word gospel. That's from God, right? And the book of life. I like to squiggly underline, happy, thank you, what um, God is, has, or does. After we've seen God and what he's doing, it's important to notice people. People, what people are positively doing or should be doing. And mark that. So in this example, what would we underline? What are people supposed to do here? Rejoice, in the, and then in the Lord, and then rejoice. Okay, so these are things, the positive things that we should notice about this verse. If there's a negative instruction, I mark through it differently. I look for words like not. So go back into uh, chapter 3, Philippians 3, verse 9, and you'll find an example of this. If I, in 3, in verse 9, he says, not something, and then he lists some things. And when I come to a no or a not, I put a little mark there, like, wait a minute now, there's something here that I don't want to be or do. And whatever those, that next section is, I just lightly mark a line through it. So looking at 3 and verse 9, there are several. It says there's a, uh, let's see here. Uh, not what? Having a righteousness of my own. Not having a righteousness of my own, I put a little faint line through that because I, I want to not do that, right? That's what the Bible is telling you. All right. Another type of word you might want to mark is something bad or something to avoid. Maybe it's not a command, but it's a, a negative example. So maybe look at chapter 3 and verse 19 where you're going to find several. In chapter 3 and verse 19, their God is what? Their belly? I like to triangle over that, or you can do it this way. Uh, their God is their belly. Oops, watch out. We don't want that to be us. Um, they glory in their shame, a triangle on shame. Their minds are set on earthly things, a triangle over that. Kind of like a caution sign. I want to be aware of those things. These are things not to do negative examples we find in the Word. You may have your own system for interaction. There is certainly no right or wrong way to do this, but just find something that works for you. Maybe you're using colored pens and you do, you know, purple on these and orange on that. You know, have a way, though. Have a way so that when you glance back at that text, you can see, in my, I'm up the way going, I can see my first 
part of this is all marked up. I've got it circled and underlined and some things. So I'm kind of am interacting with the text right here. This is what we're looking at. Finally, if you see any absolute words, mark them. I like to put a box around them. An absolute word, all, any, never, forever. Those are absolutes of time and place and condition. What's the absolute in Philippians 4 verse 4? Oh, yeah. Okay, you know the word the world tries to tell us that there really aren't any absolutes. Mm -hmm. The Bible says, oh yeah, there are. So let's watch for those. Component six is examination. Here is a transition from superficial to deeper. I need to see that I'm sure that is yeah, thank you. So here, we're going to ask another question. On the last step, we asked what? What does the text say? So we're really looking at it. Now we're going to ask, what does the text mean? And the question would be, so what? What does that text mean? And we're going to spend some time looking at that. So in our ocean voyage, we've parked the boat. We look down, and we see nine fish down there. Okay, we saw what was down there. Now we're going to ask, so what? What are those fish doing? What color are they? How are they moving? You know, what are these doing? And we're going to examine some characteristics. This is where your equipment comes in handy. It's better than a naked eye trying to see down through some ocean water. You know, you might need a net. You might need a snorkel to get down in there and look at those fish. You might need a microscope to show you something that you drew up. So these are important things. So in Bible Club, and I, I do love that as a, as a help, there's their three parallel translations are going to come in handy. So the word rejoice, some translations say be glad. Or be full of joy. So this kind of fills it out for us, right? And uh, again, the cross-references are going to pull in other places where that idea is found. The word study is important because it tells you what the Greek word is and where that Greek word is found again. And so that's kind of intriguing. Um, I really love Englishman's because it says, it gives you the Greek word in its exact tense. And this is a command, rejoice. So it's going to eliminate all the passages that say rejoicing or I rejoice past tense. It's going to just show you the ones where it's a command to rejoice. And we're going to find that in um, Matthew there's a couple places that that is used. So it's really helpful. So use your tools here. Rejoice and be glad. And I like to, in my writing, I like to jot some of these down but not take up a lot of room. So I'll uh, maybe I'll put a little dot up here by rejoice. I'll come down here and I'll write my little my extra verse that I found, where like Matthew 5 and verse 12 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, rejoice and be exceeding glad, right? So I'm going to do that for a couple little things here. Um, so use your use your writing page to document what you're doing. I'm going to, for the sake of time, but I want to give you a caution here. If you're looking at all these tools and your head is spinning and you're thinking, oh, I don't even know. You know, there's no, the oxygen in your stupid tank is running out, right? You've kind of just gone, you've gone too deep, then just back out and see what you've got. And next time you'll get better and deeper and it'll, you'll, you know, you don't have to do the whole thing all at once. So for the rest of my page, under that, so I've got my verse, my, my references or my other scriptures that bring in that idea. For this rest of this page, I suggest that we do the next step. And that is going to be experience. After discovering what's there, it's time to evaluate. Now, we're going to sit back on the deck of our boat with our sun hat and our lemonade and 
we are going to think about what we have been looking at. This is called meditation. The Bible talks about it a lot. Psalm 1 and verse 2, the righteous person meditates on the word. This is something we sometimes want to skip. The clock is going to be your enemy here. Don't skip this step. Experience it. We're going to think about it. We're going to, we're going to take a minute to just think about what did this word, what did this verse say to me? And maybe I'm going to come up with some some things out of that. It says joy is tied to God, right? Joy is tied to the Lord. It's a command to rejoice. Can we command our feelings real easy? Not really. So maybe we maybe we look at joy in a different way and we figure out that joy means leaning into God. And I can rejoice that Jesus never moves. He is right there solid and I can trust him. So my joy doesn't come from a feeling. It comes from a person, which is Jesus. And this is something I, I'm thinking about and meditating on all the things that I pulled out of this passage. <coughs> After doing that, the rest of this page right here, write out a prayer. So that's part of your experience. We meditate and we pray. This is very important. There's no right or wrong way to do it. You pray what you found when you read this verse. Because the text is the same, but the person is different. Even if I go back five years from now and do this verse again, I might pray something different because I'm going to be in a different point in my life then. So line up the prayer. And again, the writing out, it helps us to slow our brains down again. And really, sometimes I'll be surprised when I write it because I didn't realize that thought was in there. It helps you to uncover it slowly and, and really get your heart in, in tune with God. So maybe you write, Father God, whatever else is going on, you are still good. Your grace is still present. My soul is secure in you. As I lean towards you, leaning on Jesus, I find calm and security and joy because you are constant. Joy is constant because nothing disrupts you. Nothing disrupts the undercurrent of joy. Help me to find you in the clutter of my day. Help me disengage from other lesser pursuits and come to you as Jesus invited. Help me reflect that joy to others as a consequence of my own joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength, Nehemiah 8 and verse 10. So maybe that's something like what you would write down. And finally, portability. The last thing under experience is we're going to make this portable. So we're going to, you know how people do take those pictures. We're going to, at the top of this, we're going to put a title. And I say it's one word. I only make one word in my title. Because I can think of that word the rest of the day, and that can be my word of the day. What would be your word of the day for this? It could be rejoice. Or it could just be joy. And then at the bottom, under the prayer, I... Think of a song. What is a song that goes with what I've studied today? What would be a good song for this study? Oh, Rejoice the Lord Always, right. Okay, so, and I write down my song title right here. As I go through my day, I try to keep those two things in my head. It was rejoice. I'm rejoicing in the rock. I sing that out loud. As we're coming back to the shore in our ship, we're singing at the top of our lungs. Rejoice in the Lord always. And this will help your whole body to experience what you've learned. You're hearing it. You're singing it. You're, you're immersing yourself in what you study here. And it's a real blessing. What adventure have you dreamed about? What trip's been in the back of your mind? Maybe it's to walk on the beaches of Hawaii or to go to the peaks of Colorado. Maybe it's to antique in Fredericksburg. Maybe you're fascinated about an ocean voyage of some kind. Whatever you fat, whatever your adventure, some preparation is involved. You might need a travel agent, an airline reservation, or some clothes. There's a young man in our neighborhood who's been walking every evening, and that's not too unusual, but he's been walking in hiking boots with a full backpack on.
on his back. Do you, what do you think he's doing? Is he preparing himself for a bigger adventure, right? And just like that young man in my neighborhood, this is preparing us for the greatest adventure ever. Do you dream about heaven? Is it in the back of your mind? Do you imagine what it'll be like when we get there? Do you picture seeing the face of Jesus? What preparations are you making for that ultimate trip? Are you anticipating in the morning and before you go to bed? Are your thoughts delicious and exciting? Are you, through connection to God in his word, preparing for what you'll take in your soul when you go on your trip to heaven? No other baggage is coming. It's my prayer that as we launch out into the deep of God's word, as long as we have a heart, soul, mind, and strength, that our daily connection with God will encourage you all the way to the shores of heaven. Go to Loyal.